The following is a Sports Ethos presentation. Another episode of Round the Ball Ramble. I am your host, Corbin Ford. Follow me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation. So check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos. S P O R T S E T H O S. Online SportsEthos.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we only have at most five games left in the 2021 2022 NBA season. And that makes me kind of sad. It's been a heck of a year. A lot of great moments, a lot of exciting games, a lot of horrible games, but you know, everything that goes into a season. And to see that kind of pass by, you know, a little melancholy. However, we ain't done. We enter in one of the most exciting parts of the season for me, the off season. Of course, you have the draft, draft day, which is like a holiday in and of itself for me. Uh, you know, all the coverage and all of the picks and possible trades beforehand. Then you have, of course, the trade, uh, not trade deadline, free agency the next week after, which is just as exciting. Uh, even with a class that's not as great uh, a free agency here. Just as dope. One that I'm just as pumped to get into um, and, and enjoy, again, like a holiday. And it's not even just that. Yeah, the NBA offseason's there. Um, my favorite game, Basketball GM, will update that so I can mess around with my little sandbox in the game. NBA 2K will do something that you'll be able to buy in October. <laughs> um, but they'll be out there. Podcasts will be out there. I'm a big Dunked On fan. So, you know, the Dunked On podcast is going to have plenty of coverage that I'm going to sink my teeth into or... or my ears, I don't know how that works, anyway, I'm really going to dive into it, it's going to be a lot of fun, and forget just the NBA season, the WNBA season is in full swing, we're going to be talking about that in large, in mass, uh, yeah, we're going to be doing that, <laughs> um, coming up here, moving forward, because they have their season, and it has been just spectacular so far, unless you're a Phoenix Mercury fan, and even then, there's some signs for optimism, we'll be going into that, of course, as the season progresses, but really, really big stuff there with the WNBA season that I'm excited to be able to cover, and also, the Big Three is going to be cover, coming over here real, real soon. If you are a big fan of, you know, retired basketball players, or your favorite legends who, you know, maybe the game forced them out earlier than they would have liked, the Big Three, uh, which is created by Ice Cube, is an organization, is a league that you can follow that is exciting in a way. Um, I think it's always exciting to follow a new young team that's kind of a new young group that's starting up. This is your five of the big three, which is a three on three um, style season. You have so many fun teams, so many fun players from your past. And, you know, I'm all about supporting small businesses, I'm all about supporting um, like startups. Um, underdogs, and, you know, I don't know if the big three goes under small business, but it definitely falls under kind of this underdog kind of startup group that, you know, has gotten some attention, but hasn't really gotten a whole lot, and I love the fact that it's really trying to, you know, make its own way. It's really, really cool. So, the point I'm trying to get at with this intro is that, although the NBA season may be winding down, basketball is not winding down, professional basketball is not winding down, that's what I'm in it for, that's what I love, I know y'all into it as well, and that means we still got a whole summer of excitement to look forward to, even with the NBA season about to end. With that being said though, we do got the Celtics and Warriors to talk about, we got a scouting report I want to dive into, 
some news on the Big Three, some news on the WNBA, and then we're going to set the week for um, talking some top free agents, talking about the Round Ball Ramble Mock Draft 1.0. We got a lot to get into, so without further ado, let's get to it. So, so far we've had an interesting NBA Finals between the Eastern Conference representative Boston Celtics and, of course, the Western Conference representative Golden State Warriors. It has been a, a nip and tuck series so far. The series is tied one two one. Let's start with game one where the Celtics beat the Warriors one hundred and twenty to one hundred and eight behind a huge fourth quarter. Uh where basically all the Celtics kind of found their groove from long range. <laughs> like um and and fueled that to deliver a really crazy comeback against the Warriors. Um Jalen Brown was huge, had twenty four points and really was the, the guy who keyed the run. Al Horford hit six threes. You had timely contributions from Marcus Smart with 18, as well as Derek White off the bench with 21 points and three assists. Um, the Celtics outscored the Warriors 40-16 to 16 in the final 12 minutes, and this is after trailing by 15 points late in the third quarter. And Al Horford, big reason why. Again, leading the Celtics to scoring at 26 points on Game 1, despite turning 36 that Friday. Having played in 141 previous postseason games, which is the most, without playing in the NBA Finals. So the dude really has come to play, and it was exciting to see him kind of shine the biggest stage for the first time on the biggest stage. You always got to love a vet who's, you know, made to the finals, can still play, and is like, hey, I have not been here, and it is not likely that I will be here again, so let me make the most of this opportunity. And that's exactly what Horford did. Uh, he said after the game that he felt the guys kept finding him, um, and of course, being the ultimate team guy that Al Horford is, gave some love to Derek White, too, saying that Derek White hit some tough shots there, too. I was getting the looks, knocking them down. That's that, end quote. That's that is certainly the case. The Celtics made their first seven uh, attempts from three. In the fourth quarter, they wound up nine of 12 beyond the arc. Almost everybody got in on that, with one notable exception. Notice the first time I mentioned Jason Tatum. That's because Jason Tatum uh, really struggled offensively. He did have 13 assists, which is great, um, the most uh, for him in a postseason game, and, and, and really signs of his development there, uh, the ability to be more of a fully featured offensive facilitator and not just a guy who can get buckets, which is great, but you know, development is also great, right? Uh, however, he only shot 3 of 17, which, ha, <laughs> yikes. Uh, 12 points, 5 rebounds, 13 assists. Great double-double, but not a great, greatest-looking double-double. Uh, for the Warriors, Steph Curry led the way. 34 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. This is the first time, obviously, back in the finals in three years. But unfortunately, the Warriors couldn't really sustain momentum after a 38-point third quarter that had them up by 12. They were up 92-80 heading into the fourth before the Celtics uh, basically caught their number and, and just totally put all the stops out on them. Uh, you had 20 points as well from Andrew Wiggins, as well as 15 for Clay Thompson, although he wasn't on the best efficiency. Draymond Green gave you 4 points, 11 boards, and 5 assists. The Draymond Green game, although he did foul out. And the off-the-bench, Otto Porter had 12 points uh, to lead bench points for the Warriors. But the Celtics deserve that win. Um, they were the first team to trail a finals game by 10 or more points after three quarters, and yet win by 10 or more. That's according to Sports Radar. And they're 8-2 and two on the road in these playoffs. You could say the Celtics are road warriors. Okay, that sucked. And actually, they're 8-3. and three. My bad, because we're going to get to game two in a second. Um, but yeah, really big game 
from the Celtics. Uh, that fourth quarter, of course, knocking out a, a wide, uh, a wide variety or a large quantity of your threes is going to do it. I think between Marcus Smart, um, Derek White, and Al Horford, they knocked down 18 of the 23 threes. That's that's a number that's not easily going to be replicated, right? At the same time, they kept themselves in the game. They also play good defense. You can score, but you got to stop the other team from scoring too. And the Celtics were able to do that as well. Um, and that's what made it important. That That's what made it big uh, for Boston to really get that win on game one, which most people, I know, I was talking my pops with this, he expected that because the Warriors were resting for a week and a half, right? Like, you kind of expect them to come out a little bit slow. That's not what happened, but you expect, you know, a team that has been fighting and grinding, going through the Nets and then seven-game series against the Bucks and then seven-game series against the Heat, that they would be, you know, ready to come and play. Um, they were all tuned up and ready to go, but so are the Warriors. Curry hit six threes in the first half. Those are the most ever in any quarter of the NBA Finals. In addition, the 21 points scored were the most since Michael Jordan's 22 points in the fourth quarter of Game 4 versus the Phoenix Suns way, way back in 1993. Wasn't around back then, but I'm sure it was quite a game. Uh, and the Celtics and Warriors, one little bit of trivia for the first uh, game. They combined for 23s by halftime, 20 conversions by halftime, which is an NBA Finals first half record. You tell me that three ball ain't exciting. You tell me. Like, you don't tell me. I was just kidding. But, yes, Celtics won game one. So, how would the Warriors respond in game two? Well, they would respond in devastating fashion. They would respond in what you would look in the word in the dictionary under response and find what the Warriors did to the Celtics in game two. Now, mind you, this game was close for the first half, all right? Third quarter, though, Warriors kicked it up another notch and really separated this game, uh, separated the championship contenders from the first-timers. They would pull away in the third quarter with a 35-point third quarter to only 14 points for Boston, and this game would be almost academic as the Warriors would win 107-88. to Steph Curry, again, led the way for Golden State. He's had a tremendous NBA final so far. You could tell he really wants that MVP. 29 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists, while Jordan Poole added 17 points off the bench as well. But it wasn't just offense for Golden State, because they did play well. It was on the defensive side of the ball that they really made their mark. The Warriors forced Boston into 18 turnovers, and they converted very well off those turnovers, making 33 points off of those. That was a huge factor in Boston's victory. Now, mind you, Boston bounced back a little bit, in particular Jason Tatum, who, remember, 3-17, horrible performance in Game 1, he had 28 points, 6 rebounds, was 5-6 from 3 in the first half. Really, really solid, right? But it wasn't enough. Only two other Celtics players scored in double figures. That's not going to be a recipe for success if you're Boston trying to win the team game, trying to have multiple guys come through, and that's how you got there. Like, you, you can't go back away from what you've been, how you've been playing, which is, yes, Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, but also Tommy Contributions from Al Horford, from Marcus Smart, from Grant Williams. And in this game, you had Jason Tatum with 28, Jalen Brown with 17, Marcus um, Marcus Smart actually did not play. I got that confused. Uh, Derek White had 12. Marcus Smart played, but he didn't play well. He only had two points. So you got 12 off the bench for Derek White, 28 points for Jason Tatum, 17 points for Jalen Brown. Six points combined for the rest of your starters. Not good. Also, Al Horford, uh, that was his last game at age 35 in game one. This is his first game at age 36 in game two. Is he having a... Chris Paul scenario where, you know, you turn another year older in the upper 30s and your game just falls away. Not fair too soon. I'm sorry. All right, moving back on 
with the game, though. Uh, the Celtics, yeah, regression. It happens. It was big, you know? Um, Boston shot 21 to 45 in game one from three. And Draymond Green even said at the end of the game when he wasn't impressed. He said, quote, they had 21 threes, and Marcus Smart, Al Horford, and Derek White combined for 15. Those guys are good shooters, but they combined for what? 15 for 23 from those guys? Eh, we'll be fine. It, it turns out he was probably right. Green definitely um, sagged off a lot on Horford in game one. Game two, first possession in the game. Very first possession. He played Horford so aggressively, forced a jump ball. That set the tone for the Golden State defense and the way that they attacked Boston. Not only that, but Boston did fall a little bit from three as well. Boston, at first, mind you, it felt like they, that shot just traveled. They shot 10 and 19 from three to start in that first half, which is just right over 50%. Just dang good. But in the second half, they fell away, finishing 3 of 14. Not good. Horford and Smart already talked about how bad they played in Game 2, but they combined for 44 points in Game 1. Even with garbage time factored in, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown still managed to combine for more than half of Boston's points. Role players, they regressed to the mean, and that happens. Also, you know, I think that uh, we saw a little bit of the physicality that the Warriors were able to get away with. We saw a little bit of the refereeing edge in terms of... Uh, Draymond Green being able to get a tech and somehow play more aggressively, um, foul more and get called less, uh, and then afterwards be like, oh, you know, I earned that, whatever the case may be. Like, I, I don't understand uh, Draymond. I, I just don't understand the pull he gets. Um, and even Jason Tatum said, hey, the Celtics didn't get the benefit of the doubt with physical play. And they didn't. The Warriors and Draymond Green really turned up a level. That was a big reason why they helped win. The Celtics didn't do it. Mind you, I don't think they raised the level of physicality to meet um, Golden State's, like, up to 100%. But, you know, I just it just didn't feel like they were up in the ante as much as Golden State did. They didn't come with the level of desperation that Golden State did. And that's necessary in a finals game that you're trying to, you know, go up two games to zero going back home. So, that's all. And Jason Hill spoke about it. He said, yeah. I mean, obviously, we know what Draymond Green brings to the game. I love that about him. Obviously, I played with him. We tried to match that. I just kind of felt like we weren't getting the benefit of the doubt when we tried playing with fat physicality. We got to do better taking care of the ball. They got a lot of points off that, off our turnovers. That's something we've got to be better for next game because we know throughout the playoffs, the games we have high turnovers, we kind of result to a loss. That's definitely a point of emphasis, taking care of the ball next game. That's for sure. Also, Slight, just, just maybe a recommendation from someone who's really not a coach, a scout, anything on that note. But maybe guarding Steph Curry a little bit better would be great. 29.6 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals, 5 three-pointers. There wasn't a single guy who could stay in front of him. And I thought Derek White performed admirably in Game 1. And, and, and Steph Curry still did what he did. Not so in Game 2. Whether that's trapping him aggressively and, and fanning out, making Jermon Green be more of a score, whatever you have to do. Andrew Wiggins has been playing pretty solidly, but uh, Clay Thompson's been in the midst of a, of a pretty bad streak. Uh, he went 4-19 from the field for 11 points in Game 2. Wasn't much better in Game 1. Maybe, you know, you gotta be, you're playing with fire, you know, letting Clay shoot himself back into being a splash brother. But right now, you gotta cut the head of the snake. And, and that is Steph Curry. So, however you want to do that, Boston... I just recommend that you do that because that might be beneficial for y'all, you know, prolonging this series, you know, taking the edge in this series, ultimately winning said series. That's just my thoughts there. Um, Micah Adams on Twitter, at Michael, Micah Adams 13 said the Warriors of Game 2, with Steph and Clay both on, plus minus 0 in 18 minutes. With Steph on without Clay, plus 24 in 14 minutes. With Clay on without Steph, plus minus 0 in 12 minutes. 
in the 14 minutes with Curry on the floor without Thompson, the Warriors had a 160 offensive rating, an 82.8 defensive rating, and a plus 77.2 net rating. Listen, y'all, that's pretty darn good no matter how you slice it, right? So just pretty good no matter how you slice it. So for Boston, I'm just saying, you know, keep your composure. You know, uh, they got into it with Draymond Green, both Grant Williams and Jalen Brown. You know, up your level of physicality to the match that out of Golden State. Keep knocking down shots. Keep playing together. And for goodness sakes, hold on to the ball. And for the Warriors, man, I mean, if Klay Thompson works out of a sump, that'd be great. But right now, Steph Curry's cooking. Keep that defense ratcheted up. You know, bring that championship experience to bear. Maybe get some more bench points to help y'all out a little bit. And do what y'all do. Y'all been here before. Now, as far as my prediction, uh, I feel like I kind of painted myself into a corner. I was talking a lot of junk on the latest episode of Let's Ball Out with my pals Alicia and Kelsey. I may have misspoke and said Warriors in five, and I did. So I got to stick to that now um, if I have any, you know, type of integrity, which, you know, I'm not saying I have a whole lot of that, but, you know, I got some on, on stuff that I record. I'm kidding. Point being, I said Warriors in five, so we're going to go Warriors in five. Which means, yeah, I think that they'll win these next few games. Uh, I may be wild, but I may just be right. We will see. We will see. But either way, we have had ourselves a really entertaining final so far. Not a whole lot of blowout um, between the two games, except obviously after the third quarter of Game 2. Hopefully we got a lot more competitive basketball down the stretch as we get to the close of the 2021-2022 NBA season. And we'll be more on here with coverage for the ensuing games to come. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let's talk some WNBA basketball to start. WNBA All-Star voting is now live on WNBA.com, the WNBA app, and on Twitter. The All-Star captains will draft their teams live on July 2nd on ESPN. So make sure to vote and to vote daily until June 20th where those Obviously, the votes will, will be done. There'll, there'll be no more uh, availability to vote. The ballots will be closed. That's what I was looking for. Had to find my way into that. So definitely make sure to do that and do that regularly. And while you do, consider Kelsey Plum, who is definitely going to be an all-star, but I think should also probably be an MVP. She had 32 points to lead all scores in the Aces' home win over the Wings, uh, 84-78. to 78. Kelsey Plum has been on a total love, like other level this year total other level in terms of how well she has played mind you she has always been one who could fill it up plays the pace shoots the ball well but over the last five games 17 points eight assists 19 points six assists 18 points seven assists 23 points eight assists 32 points five assists she's shooting the ball from three at an electric clip she is unstoppable right now she is a savage and i'm telling you like Obviously, the Aces are a very, very good team. Easily head and shoulders above the rest of the WNBA at this point in time. But Kelsey Plum, even on a very good Aces team, has separated herself above the rest. And wow. Just a really, really good player who is really... I I don't want to say reach her peak. I want to sell Kelsey Plum short. We don't know. But the point being is, on a whole nother level right now, easily my MVP choice. Uh, There are a few. I'm going to get a guest uh, hopefully here soon to kind of break down some of this with me. Um, The Connecticut Sun wrapped up their four-game stand pretty well, winning three of four. They defeated the Storm 93-86 to behind John Quell Jones, 25 points. John Quell Jones, another person, another player uh, playing really well here 
for the Sun, also just in general in the WNBA. Uh, love her inside-outside game. I wish she had a little more freedom on the offensive side of the ball. I do feel like she can shoot the three-ball well. Like, why are we not playing through John Cole Jones more? I get you have an interesting structure with Jasmine Thomas out and, and, and Alyssa, um, Alyssa Thomas playing more on ball. But just in my mind, like, let her be the hub. Like, isn't she an MVP winner? Like, I'm just saying. Is is it that is it that hard? Am I being am I being too I, I don't even know what the word would be. I, I, I don't whatever the word is, negative, I'm being too dismissive of the other talents on the Suns roster? No. Jasmine Thomas being out means that a lot of other players are gonna have to take more touches. Courtney Williams, who's been a boost for Connecticut since her return. Um, Natisha Heidman, I think, has been great for the Sun. DeWanna Bonner does what DeWanna Bonner does. Absolutely. But, like, John Cole Jones can score for the inside, can score for the outside, mid-range. Like, Alyssa Thomas, we know she doesn't have an outside shot. She's very good in transition and getting to the basket, and she's a very good passer as well. But I'm just saying, you know that you're not going to have Jasmine Thomas, the one kind of common connecting hub of this Connecticut Sun team for years. So... Maybe make that a person who can convert at all three levels consistently. That's that's just my thoughts. But what do I know? Actually, I guess I knew that. There we go. I'm just gonna say that. Um, Ariel Powers on the Minnesota Lynx. Ariel Powers came out huge. 27 big points, knocked on all three of her threes uh, in a game where the Lynx snapped the Liberty's win streak. And mind you, Liberty have not had the greatest of years so far, but they have been scrappier. Um, they shoot a lot of threes. Don't make a lot of threes, but they shoot a lot of threes. And they were down by 19 before not only coming back, but come back hard. They made a, a one-point game uh, in the waning minutes of the fourth quarter. Then Ariel Powell said enough. That's a mid-range J and really just took over down the stretch uh, for Minnesota. This is a season high for her. And honestly, I love me some Ariel Power. She can ball. She got the swag. Uh, and you know what? Apparently, she got the game to back it up in crunch time. We always know what she could do it, but... Hey, Ariel Powell's closer, not too crazy to me. Phoenix Mercury, y'all. Phoenix Mercury did the thing. They had had a seven-game losing streak. And, you know, I covered on the PHNX. Mercury show has not been pretty. They were 10th in offensive rating. They were 10th in defensive rating. Uh, Offensive rating, I think that they will climb back because a lot of their main players just aren't shooting well from three. You know, Diana Taurasi was shooting the worst from three uh, since her injury short in 2019 season. Tina Charles, who shot three at a, a career high last year, we knew wasn't going to be that close this year, but also was supposed to be that bad. Same thing with Sophie Cunningham. Uh, Diamond DeShields is not known as a three-point shooter, but also, like, 22%? Eh, it's kind of rough. So I knew there was going to be some uh, a return to form on that respect. But on the defensive side of the ball, I do worry, have worried, still worry about the personnel just not being equipped to play defense um, at a good enough level to get into the top five. Kyle Dingham-Smith is a very good defender on a one-on-one aspect. Um, when it comes to team defense, not so much there. I think Diamond DeShields defends her position well. Uh, Brianna Turner does the exact same thing. Uh, Tina Charles is not going to be confused with defense's top worth the five, though. And Dana Taurasi, listen, legend, right? At 40 years old, still being able to play the way that she does at a high enough level, particularly in the offensive end, is great. But on the defensive side of the ball, she plays like she's 40, okay? If you're a quick guard, you're going to get past her, right? If you are a more powerful post player, like, yes, Tarasi is feisty enough to stick in the post, swipe down hard on the ball, 
sometimes swipe down on not the ball and not get called for it. Like, you know, there's elements of Tarasi's game where she will hold up better as she ages in more post-dominated matchups, but she's also not a post player. So if you put like a real four or five there, um, you're probably going to have no problem scoring on Tarasi either, you know? And then let's just make matters worse here. Tina Charles has been out the last two games with a shoulder injury. Brianna Turner is your one true five. Uh, Megan Gustafson gets some minutes. Um, Kristen Inigwe does not get a whole lot of minutes. So really, you're just going smaller, which means Sophie Cunningham is usually playing your fours and your fives. I watched her play um, some four on the Agumake sisters. That was not an experience I want to see again. Um, I watched her play a few minutes on um, John Cole Jones when they played the Connecticut Sun. Like, mind you, Sophie scraps. She goes hard. Like, it's great, but she is not a four. She is hard-pressed at three, you know? So, those are just my thoughts there, and, and there's nothing you can do about that. That's just the personnel that the Mercury have at their disposal right now. They have to play smaller uh, to compensate for injuries, and they're already a small squad as is, you know? And, of course, um, the loss of Brittany Griner on, again, it, 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 it's, it, it's one of those things that permeates the season as it should. Her being wrongfully detained in Russia and just the camaraderie issues, the loss of her in the locker room, of her as a presence, of understanding, you know, that we worry about her safety and how she's doing there is going to be something that permeates the entire Mercury season. Much, much, much less than what she provides as a player, you know, restoring some bounce on a, on a roster that is missing Brittany Griner, you know, so there's a lot there, um, but that's nothing to do with how they played against the Sparks uh, last night where they did get a much deserved hard-fought win 81 to 74 they actually held a lead in the third quarter held on to lead in the fourth quarter which has been their bugaloo over the last couple of games really really good stuff to see from the Phoenix Mercury Scott Dinger Smith had the game of her season <laughs> gonna say the game of her career nope I was just kidding misspeaking there but she had the biggest game of the season for her so far 29 big points Pace the Mercury throughout. Every time they needed a bucket, she provided it. And you know what? The Mercury did a great job finding her as well for open shots. Dan Tarasi made some nice passes. Diamond the Shields made some nice moves. It was a really, really good game to see for the Mercury to try to start pulling things together and restoring some order on this season. You know, it's not totally lost yet. This is an extended season now. You can still climb your way back. And historically, the Mercury have never started off well um, over the last, like, five or six years. Uh, they're always somewhere under 500 before they claw back. And then whatever magic in the postseason happens is the magic in the postseason that happens. So that was cool uh, to be able to witness as someone who is hoping the Mercury bounce back and quickly. Um, in addition to that, the Chicago Sky... Still playing well. They defeat the Mystics 91-82. to uh, Candace Parker had a 20, uh, double-double. Uh, as alongside Kalea Copper playing as well. She normally does with 15 points as well. Uh, that was another Commissioner's Cup matchup. And the, the Mystics have been a solid squad. They still are. So for this guy to come back and start to restore order as the defending champs is really cool to see. Um, in fact, I, I can't recommend it enough, but please check out uh, the PHNX Mercury show. Uh, yes, shameless self-plug, but I really don't care. It was really, really good stuff. Uh, not only because we broke down the Mercury, but we also had an amazing guest from the Chicago show, CHGO Sky Show, kind of help go into everything going on from the Chicago Sky perspective. Uh, both how they're integrating players back, obviously Kalea Copper coming back, injuries they've had early, uh, assessing the play of Candace Parker so far. It's been a lot that the Sky has to deal with too, as they also try to gear up to defend their crown properly in full health. So it was really, really exciting to see that. Um, and I highly, highly recommend that again. Um, that's the PHNX uh, underscore Mercury show. So please check them out on Twitter. 
uh, at PHNX underscore Mercury. Uh, it's just the PHNX Mercury show. I don't know why I said underscore there, but definitely make sure to check that out. Um, and yes, uh, you can also follow um, Janice Scro. I, I messed up the name. Scrosa. There we go. Um, at S-C-U-R-I-I-O-S-A. Uh, she was a guest we had on who is so, so knowledgeable. Not only about the Chicago Sky, but literally all things Chicago, okay, she does uh, baseball, WNBA at large, just a really, really great guest, um, and one that I think you would benefit from listening to, so definitely make sure to check that out, but yeah, fun stuff on the WNBA board, like I said, we're going to have our power rankings and stuff coming up here soon, um, breaking down a little bit more of these teams here in the future, but WNBA season is in full swing, y'all, like definitely make sure to jump on that, great basketball, it's great basketball, y'all. Great stories, great basketball, great coverage. Like, I'm not a big fan of WNBA League Pass. That's really another story for another day entirely. I'm really not a fan of WNBA League Pass. It just, I'm not a fan of the League Pass apps in general. I don't feel like they do a very good job of servicing the customer. But I'll save that soapbox for later. All right, moving on. From the WNBA to another professional sports league. It is the Big Three. That is right. The Big Three is coming back for their fifth season. We talked about this a little bit. It actually starts in just 12 days on June 18th. The rosters are again comprised of a mix of former NBA and college players, many of whom you probably remember. So I'm going to run through some of uh, the players selected because the Big Three draft just finished this past week. You have Three's Company, which I was a big fan of. I'm, I, I might be a little bit different now because there's some news on uh, one of the players. But two-time NBA champion Mario Chalmers, with Michael Beasley, Brandon Rush, Julian Wright, and Alex Scales uh, will make up Three's company. Now, the reason I said I have a little bit of concern is because Michael Beasley, which is great news for him, not great news for me as a Beasley fan who wanted to see him on the Big Three, but Beasley got a seven-figure deal to play in China. Now, you know, Beasley is still just 33. Um, offensively, he's going to be able to get buckets so he's like 43. Um, but he has signed a deal with the Shanghai Sharks. Uh, which I think is going to be great for him for his career. Uh, get your money, man. Make the most of your career. He hasn't played in the NBA since the 2018-2019 season when he played 26 games for the Lakers. Um, he played in the CBA this past year, but not for the Sharks, or in the past, rather. But he's someone who has been really open about mental health and drug problems and just talking about how he's overcome, you know, so much and had stuff stolen from him, you know, by his family and just dysfunctional family relationships and everything. And it, it's it's really... It's a lot. It's a lot, you know? Um, and I, I really hope the best for Beasley. I wish that he was available for the Big Three, but that's just a very, very selfish Corbin wanting to see him get buckets on CBS every Saturday. But now he's going to get buckets and make a lot more money, you know, over in Shanghai. And I'm just happy that he's going to be able to have that opportunity to really continue his career. With that being said, Three's company, I think, is going to be an interesting team. You guess them shooting with Mario Chalmers and Brandon Rush. I don't know who's really going to take the ball uh, to the basket consistently. Chalmers slowed a little bit. Julian Wright um, is a solid big, and out of skills sounds interesting as well. They have three-headed monsters, where you have Rashard Lewis, joined by former Spur, former Magic player Jonathan Simmons, and 53-year-old Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. Remember him? Formerly Chris Jackson. But he is still balling, y'all. Great all in his beard, can still knock down the threes, can still get you in the mid-range. Remember, he lived Jordan like literally 25 years ago in a game when he played with the Denver Nuggets, and he is still getting buckets. That is a basketball life for y'all. 
That's a basketball lifer. And they're coached by former NBA uh, 80s legend Reggie Theus as well. The Aliens, coached by Rick Mahorn, has a roster full of some international flavor. I can't speak a whole lot on these players, having not watched a ton of them, but they have Dusan Boulat uh, and co-captains Cardis Lasmanas and Thomas Evosref. I hope I said that right. Uh, Lemasnes is from Lithuania. Uh, Izosef is from Evosef is from Hungary, and they also added second round overall second overall pick Deshaun Stevens and Clyde Drexler's son Adam Drexler in the draft. So they should be a very interesting team. I'm going to be curious to see how they all come together, um, especially not having seen a lot of these players at all. Like it'll be really fun to kind of watch them for the first time. The Ball Hawks. Led by Leandro Barbosa, who, yes, the Brazilian blur is back. He led the big three in scoring last season and was second in assist. And not only is he back, but so is Jody Meeks as a co-captain, Will McDonald, Stacey Davis, and Allen Iverson's cousin, Kieran Iverson. Iverson. It's all in the family with this, y'all. It's all in the family. Very interesting to see Drexler versus Iverson. <laughs> see what I did there? Anyways, okay. Uh, Buvuak. Uh, which Gary Payton is going to take over as the coach after leading the three-headed monsters to the championship last season, or the championship game, rather, last season. And he is going to take over a team that now has Gerald Green, Will Bynum, Ike Diogu, Jeff Ayers, and Corey Brewer. So you get your all-ex-NBA players here. You know, Green uh, playing with a variety of teams, the Suns, the Rockets, all over, the Celtics, the Timberwolves. Will Bynum, we've seen him with the Pistons most notably. Uh, Diablo's been with a few teams, uh, notably to me the Hornets. Jeff Ayers with the Spurs and Coy Brewer, uh, him of the random 51-point fame, claim to fame. But also a really, uh, you know, stout wing defender, uh, decent enough shooter for a variety of teams over his NBA career. You have the Ghost Ballers. Coached by the Ice Man himself, George Gervin. Insane. It's been over two decades since Ricky Davis averaged 20 points a game for the Cleveland Cavs, and he's still balling as captain of the Ghost Ballers. Joined by Mike Taylor, Chris Johnson, Darnell Jackson, and Jermaine Taylor. Then you got the Killer Threes. Killer Threes led by Charles Oakley, where you have Franklin Session and Joss Powell, um, alongside Dante Green, Dominique Johnson, and K.J. McDaniels. Sure, yeah, people listen to remember these names. These NBA guys still getting it done. Three-on-three basketball. I'll be so excited. The Power. We're going to run through the rest of these. Power led by Katino Mobley, who also still plays. Like, led by him as a captain, rather. But um, 53-year-old Katino Mobley. Remember him back with the Rockets, with the Magic, uh, early to mid-2000s. But, yeah, here he is. Um, also, they have Glenn Rice Jr. as the top pick in the draft that they have. And they have Coach Nancy Lieberman's son, TJ Klein, in the second round. So they have Congressional Hopeful Royce White, and I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> the Trilogy, coached by Steven Jackson, returned three of their five players from last year. James White coming back, Amir Johnson coming back, and Isaiah Briscoe coming back. They did lose Captain Jared Jack, who was really, really consistent last season, and Devin Sweetney, but they drafted David Hawkins, and they acquired Earl Clark. Former big man, member drafted by the Suns, 10th overall pick. Back in 2009, if I remember. Yep, him. Tri-State. Julius Irving, the legend, coaches Tri-State. He also has a, uh, a former Golden State Warriors guard. Uh, and Jason Richardson is the captain. That's right, Jay Rich still getting buckets. Larry Sanders, Justin Dentman, Dewan Summers, and Garland Green are other names that are involved with the Tri-State uh, team here. Then you have the triplets. 
The triples. Triplets. I don't know. Uh, Lisa Leslie is the coach of that team. Joe Johnson is still balling. He led to the big three in scoring last season at 40 years old. We saw him get a bucket in the NBA with the Celtics this past year. Yes, that was this year. Gennaro Pargo, the former NBA player and current Indiana Pacers assistant coach, is also going to be playing along with his brother, former Gonzaga standout Jeremy Pargo. They're both co-captains, and they're joined by NBA big men Ryan Hollins and Alonzo G. I love the balance on this team. Joe Johnson being that kind of hybrid swing-forward guy who can still score at all three levels, especially in a slow-it-down game like the big three, where he can feast in the post and shoot all the way out to the four-point circle, right? Gennaro Pargo and Jeremy Pargo can both, you know, manufacture offense, play in the pick-and-roll, and two guys who can finish in Ryan Hollins and Alonzo G, both with, you know, varying degrees of a jumper. Okay, I'm just kidding. Alonzo G can kind of shoot it, Ryan Hans can not shoot it, but the point being, Ryan Hans can finish, and I like the balance on this roster. Then you have the enemies. Gilbert Arenas is the coach of the enemies. Swaggy P is the captain. That alone is the all-vibe squad right there. But they also have Elijah Stewart, Isaiah Austin, Seth Henry, and Keith Benson filling out the roster. So all in all, this is going to be really, really fun to watch. Um, their full schedule is out, um, and you know what? They're going to start playing in Chicago. On the 18th and 19th, uh, for both week, week 1 and 2. Then from week 3 to week 7, they're going to be in Dallas. That's it, from week 3 to 7, all in Dallas. Uh, and then also, uh, weeks 8 to 9 in Dallas. Week 10 and 11, the playoffs and championship, they don't know just yet. But week 12, uh, All-Star Weekend is going to be in the Bahamas. Which is really, really fun, kind of exciting. Like I said, shout out to Ice Cube for putting together such a really cool league. Um, again, just keeping basketball going all season long between the NBA, the WNBA, and the Big Three. Um, just really love the way that now they've lowered the age restriction. So you're not necessarily an ex-NBA player. You're going to see an infusion of young talent, an infusion of athleticism, um, kind of spicing up the game here along with some of your legends as well in a different environment as well. So just a big fan of all of that. Uh, but yeah, definitely make sure to get your tickets if you are interested in going to Dallas of any time in the next two and a half months uh, at big3.com forward slash tickets. Again, that is big3.com forward slash tickets. All right, birthdays, not a whole lot on the birthday front. Um, in fact, I'm trying to think of the most notable uh, one that we might remember, uh, Robert Sacre, shout out to him. Uh, he is now 33, a uh, former Laker big man. Mm-hmm, not a whole lot else to say there. Uh, also, Mitch McGarry, uh, former Thunder big man. He is now 30, uh, and yeah, he played with the Thunder from 2014 to 2016. So shout out to those two guys on their B-Day. Make it a great one with family, friends, loved ones. Another year on this earth is always a blessing. All right, y'all, before we close this out, we have to do a little bit of a scouting report on one Jabari Smith Jr., a guy who I am really, really a fan of. Jabari Smith out of Auburn, uh, just 19 freshman, 6'10", with a 7-foot wingspan, weighing in at 220 pounds. This guy is a very talented power forward, one of the best three-point shots I have ever seen at any size from any player, but most specifically from a college standpoint. Like, his release is buttery smooth. It's picture perfect. It looks amazing. You can almost choreograph that shot going in when he lets go of it. You can almost set your clock to it. Like, it is a beautiful-looking jump shot. He's going to have some insane, insane shooting nights in the NBA. Uh, I like his athleticism, I like his size, um, and I like his body type in the sense that he can add some more weight, add some more muscle, and still be the same type of player. He's not a very long guy, like a Jonathan Isaacs or like a Giannis or one of your guys in that same like 
kind of physical profile, but his length is good. He has decent vertical pop. I think he'd be a nice um, kind of rim deterrent, uh, rim defender. I think he has no problem kind of battling around the rim um, as well as above it. Uh, but his shooting, this is where you are really focused on his gifts here. The guy's shot is amazing. Like, it's his one weapon. He goes to it a lot, right? Like, wherever, mid-range, short-range, three points, deep. Like, that's his weapon. But, gosh darn it, if it is not a weapon. Like, it is really, really nice. Um, I, I, I've i talked to um my, uh, my good friend Bryce over on the Upside Swings podcast. I've also had Cooper on as well. We talked about, you know, better shooters, and there's other guys like A.J. Griffin, other guys out there as well. But for my money, it definitely is Jabari Smith Jr., who is just a really, really talented shooter. And I think he comes in the NBA right off the bat and brings that with him 100%, knocking out the part. Even if even if he was just coming as like a, a standstill three-point shooter and that'd be his only attribute, I would be blown away with just that. But I also think that rebounding, Decent rebounder. He knows where the ball's going to go. He knows how to position himself there. His rebounding numbers don't jump off the page. He had seven boards per game um, and also one block per game. But you have to remember that he played alongside another big uh, in Auburn who was also going to be in the draft in Walker Kessler. Um, that obviously impacts some of your opportunities around the board where you're playing more of a traditional 4-5 kind of matchup. If he's playing like a small ball 5, I think he does a very good job there in terms of stretching out the floor on the offensive end, being able to rebound the defensive end, um, and also being able to be a good defender who has good Quick twitch, I don't think he's, like, the fastest on it, but I think he has enough burst to stay in front of wings. I wouldn't make him guard, like, your your, your speedy point guards, not your John Morantz or guys like that. But in moments, I definitely would like it with his knowledge of positioning, his length, and being able to deter um, offensive players and his know-how. I think that he could do a decent job at that. And he definitely can guard multiple positions from three to five. Maybe, obviously, not your bangers, um, your Joel Embiid's and your Nikola Jokic's, but let's be real. Who is guarding those guys in this draft so far? Like, there's very few that we're going to go into in the coming weeks that I think are going to be like, ah, you know, I, I I put them on and beat in a heartbeat. There's very few people in the league right now who you put on and beat in a heartbeat. So there, there's your uh, your caveat there. Um, with that being said, I think that he is someone who is not a very good finisher around the rim. Like, I was stunned by someone who's 6'10", you know, kind of flubbing easy layups or, you know, having a hard time powering through contact around the basket. If it's not a jumper, it's a question mark, and that's kind of concerning when you're as big as he is. You know, additionally, I saw that he is very good at shooting over people at a standstill position, but if you get defense into him, uh, like a Pat Bevwood, where you're kind of riding his hip and you're right underneath him, kind of, you know, knocking off his leverage from a physical standpoint, you could find it harder for him to convert uh, jumpers like that. That's the easier way to bother him by being more physical with him down low. Whereas if you're just playing straight up with your hand outstretched, yeah, he can rise and fire over you. That's really doing nothing. But if you're really underneath his body, kind of making it harder for him, now you might have some success. Um, also, another thing I've seen, the more dribbles he takes, the less effective he is. Like, if he's taking like one to three dribbles, that's a sweet spot. You know, a reset dribble into a three. A pull-up dribble into a, a, a deep three-point shot. You know, maybe two dribbles to set up a step back. Like, if he does any of that... You know, playing in that pinch post area out to three, electric. Now, if you're saying do four to five threes, like four to five dribbles to get into a three, nah. Yeah, Kevin Durant, he is not. I don't really like that uh, comparison because Kevin Durant is so smooth with his handle that he can use that to flow right into his jumper easy. Jabari Smith is not like that. He's someone who can grab the ball right there in that pinch post, right, you know, right uh, uh, free throw line extended area, jab step you two or three times, and then rise or fire. Jab step you, one dribble back, shoot the you know shoot the shot like do it like that. But he's not someone I think go between his legs, you know, a little hezzy, little self dribble. That's not what you're getting 
from Jabari Smith Jr. Nor should you expect that right now. Maybe he can develop that, but like if you're expecting that, you are in for a, a, a sad surprise because that's not going to happen um, from what I see right now. So I think you take that Kevin, um, Kevin Durant uh, analogy and throw it out the way. What I do like as more of an analogy, and I've seen this a few times, is a Rashard Lewis. Uh, do you draft Rashard Lewis number one? That's interesting, but then again, that's a bigger idea of this draft in general and who you think is the clear number one. And I have the opinion that there isn't a clear number one. So you can consider it. Again, it's what your team needs, what Orlando needs, and, and, and what Jabari Smith brings to the table. But Rashard Lewis was an all-star for a couple of years. Was a guy who got a big contract. You know, maybe he was undeserved. He got a huge contract from Washington. Like, the guy was a baller. You know, the guy shot, traveled, he could play from the post, play from deep, made it work, was pretty effective. And let's be real, Jabari is a way better defender than Rashard Lewis. And this brings me to my second comp, which is a Kevin Garnett, more of a spacer Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett wasn't bringing the ball up, you know, well, he brought the ball up at times, but he wasn't like a guy who was like really dribbling like KD does. No, he wasn't like your main offensive initiator in that respect. He played out of the post, you know, love that mid-range jumper. You know, he lived in that foul line extended area. That was his bread and butter. Like, you bring that to a a Jabari Smith Jr., you have an evolutionary Garnett in terms of shooting, you know? And you have some elements of that in terms of defense. Yeah, he's nowhere near the defender that KG was from a physical standpoint um, and also in regards to a defensive IQ standpoint. But he is very, very good on that end. And you know what he brings on the offensive side? Fits a lot in the KG's area, who also wasn't the best at playing through contact in the post. Uh, look at uh, Thinking Basketball's uh, uh, retro uh, look at Kevin Garnett in his game, and you'll see that a lot of his offensive game is very, very similar to Jabari Smith Jr., at least in terms of his reliance on a jumper and not being the best at finishing around the basket, looking more to avoid contact and power through it. So there's some thoughts there. But ultimately, I think that this is really going to be like a, a really uh, bold decision. You're looking at a top three pick in this draft, 100%. And when I do my round ball ramble draft, uh, mock draft, I will review where I have Jabari Smith. He's definitely top two and he ain't number two. (laughs) But we'll talk about that a little bit later for sure. But yeah, Jabari Smith Jr., I think is going to be a really solid player. He's been in the top three on my board for a while. Uh, We've already seen the smoke screens of where he's going to go. He's been top three, top two, number one for a lot of folks. There's a lot of good scouting uh, videos and reports on him as well. Um, One that I would recommend checking out. I've really... um, enjoyed this youtube um channel and it's because there's i don't know how people find you know we don't really know how people find uh their film you know i mean i many people find their film in different ways let's just say it that way uh you know whether that's watching games whether that's proprietary uh services that will break down players you know college and all that i obviously follow the nba way more than college um, and honestly, it's kind of hard to try to find games that he excelled at or didn't excel at. Um, I have guys that I can trust, good friends of mine that I can ask for input, but sometimes I want to do my own, right? And for that, I recommend Hardwood Hoop Central's NBA Draft Green Room. It's dedicated to scouting. They do really good quality video breakdowns. And you have, especially in this draft class I've seen and previous draft class, just whole two-hour, three-hour sessions of just one player looking at just his play. Everything on the offensive side of the ball. Every shot he's taken, whether make, miss, good, bad, all of it. Everything on the defensive side of the ball. Possessions. What he impacted, what he didn't, what he struggled, what he didn't. And lets you, you know, use what you see on film to decide for yourself. And so Jabari Smith Jr. already had one. Um, it's out there right now. And it's over an hour and 52 minutes of every possession of Jabari Smith Jr. on the offensive and defensive end. They drop new draft prospect profiles every week, and I have to tell you, it is some really, 
Really good stuff, y'all. They've been doing this for a minute. Check them out on YouTube. Hardwood Hoop Central's NBA Draft Green Room. It doesn't get any higher praise than this right here for me, y'all. This was an amazing resource. I'll be using it more in the future as I continue to look at this draft class. But also, if I really want to focus on one player, and yes, like, Keandre at Hoops Intellect does an amazing job. Um, Coach Spins at the boxing one does a good job as well. But, like, I love being able to have all of that in front of me and I get to say, okay, this is what I see, this is what I don't see, let me replay a specific uh, possession in a specific game, and it just does an amazing job for my own basketball IQ and learning on my own in a way that I I want to be at these guys' levels. I want to get better, and this is the way I think to do so, and also to watch their film uh, with your own eyes. So definitely make sure to check them out. I had to give them a little bit of love here at Hardwood Hoop Central's NBA Draft Green Room on YouTube. Check it out. All right, y'all, well, that will do it here. Woo, it's been a minute. It's been a minute here. Had to talk for a bit, but it's all good. On the Round Ball Ramble podcast, this has been yet another episode. Really appreciate y'all rocking with me. Y'all can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Please definitely make sure to check me out there. NBA, WNBA, Big 3, it's all there. That's what I do. I love it, and I'm glad that y'all are here with me as well. Thank y'all so much, y'all. It really means a lot. Hope y'all have a very blessed rest of your day or tomorrow or wherever you listen to this. I hope that it treats you well. And you know what, y'all? I am frosty. Y'all stay frosty, and I will talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all. This has been a Sports Ethos presentation.